All right, I got, I got a question for you. Anybody in the mumble room or anybody in the chat room uh, ch- trying out Pale Moon? I don't know. I guess after this whole Chromium downloading a binary in the background thing, I'm kind of just keeping my eyes open. And uh, I've known about Pale Moon for a while. It's an open source Firefox web browser, and it's available for Linux and other operating systems that probably exist, but I can't confirm their existence. Uh, so if you like everything about Firefox, but you want to independently develop source with carefree selective features and optimizations to maximize the browser speed, stability, and user experience, Pale Moon. Anybody trying it in the mumble room? I um, I tried out Pale Moon for a while, but there were a few of my plugins that just straight up wouldn't work with it, so I had to go back to Firefox. Oh, really, Romeo? Which ones? In, do you remember which ones in particular stood out to you? Um, I off the top of my head, I think that it may have been UBlock Origin, but I'm not 100 percent on that. I have to double check. Uh, says he can't watch Netflix on it. Rotten Corpse, did you try it out at one point? Well, yeah, but I've, I've tried out pretty much every everything, like Ice Weasel, Ice Cat, yeah. everything that's based on Firefox, just to see the differences mm-hmm. and stuff. And they're pretty much all the same. They're pretty much Firefox with slight tweaks. Branding like, removed, obviously. Fire- yeah, it's still Firefox. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Okay. The only th- the only thing I actually hate right now about Firefox is why I'm not using it is uh, that stupid pocket crap they they that is what that that's what that's what makes you stop using firefox is the pocket integration what about decent process isolation i think the process isolation is awesome if you ever use tried electrolysis (laughs) have you (laughs) yeah 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 okay all right fine fine i'm not gonna get into this i'm not going down this conversation again i've done too many episodes where people have told me about all the stuff that firefox is going to do one day uh, Firefox no, is great. You can use the it's great. Right now. No, yeah, it's great. You can get it right now. You can use it today. It's, it's ready to go. It's production ready. That's why it's included with every single Firefox installed by default. <clears throat> I, I didn't say uh, it was production ready. I said mm. it was available. I'm with Chris on that one because I've used, I've used electrolysis for a few weeks on nightly when it first came out. But with Chris on this one. That like, was, I was a long time ago when I it was... first came out. Shut up. <laughs> that, that's not... Chris. I, I would the only not, thing I'm going to point out is, is I would not enable you know, electrolysis on my grandmother's computer just to. What about uh, what about your computer you're recording shows call. on? But 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 yeah, that's yeah, like, just because I would get a call really every ten minutes. Oh, why is my browser not working? Yeah. Like, no, I mean like on my on my personal laptop that I like my XPS 13. Yeah, sure. Why not? Have fun with it. But on the machine that I'm just, you know, on the machines that I'm displaying uh, web pages on for shows and and things like that, I just uh, Chrome. I just feel like is the best bet still. I hate it. This is Linux Unplugged, episode ninety nine for June thirtieth, two thousand and fifteen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that wonders, perhaps somewhere out there, is there a beer keg and an air conditioner combo? My name is Chris, and today is a hot day in the studio. It's 90 degrees as we record episode 99. Somehow, that almost feels appropriate. I'm not even going to complain. Should be hot on episode 99. Now, coming up on this week's episode of the Unplugged program, we're going to talk about Cisco buying our favorite DNS service, OpenDNS. We're also going to talk about Linux Mint 17.2 being released, the new Cinnamon edition of that, as well as Valve's huge news regarding Steam machines and Pulse Video. Is it going to be the Pulse Audio for Linux's video woes? That rumor is circulating around the web this week. We'll be discussing that, as well as the next meetup for the Jupiter Broadcasting crew and 
a little bit more. In fact, I know you guys, you'll have to just... You'll just have to grant me this one. Sometimes I love to talk about video gaming under Linux because I feel like there's so much potential here. It's such a good system. And games need an open platform so that way artists can express their passion. And Linux and open source are so perfect for that. So this week, I'm gonna res- I'll, I'll, I will resist the temptations, but I have to share at least one amazing game that I've been... It's a category of games that I've been waiting to come to Linux for a long time that have been severely lacking. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But as a little treat to myself, I'm also going to talk about one of my new favorite games that's come to Linux, and I really want you to try it. I won't spend too much time, but you got to give it to me. you got to give it to me. But first, we have some interesting follow-up on some stories we've been covering in the Unplugged program, and so I want to bring in our virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Greetings. Hello. 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 Now, uh, Popey, I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, I, I got half of this uh, of the mix right. I've had a lot of beer today, but I didn't have any curry. There's a local brewery nearby. I stopped by while I was prepping the show. They didn't serve curry, though. In fact, when I asked them about curry, they looked at me like I was a crazy person. Outrage. <laughs> I know. I know. So, so uh, yeah, you'll have to forgive me. I didn't have any beer and curry. I just had the beer part. But it was lovely. It is like uh, it is almost 90 here at the studio today. Which means it's like five or seven or ten more degrees in the studio as we record, and uh, I was like, I really, 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 really want to do an episode outside, and my goal was to do episode one hundred um, as a meetup if possible. And then, holy crap, Linux Fest came up, and and uh, Self came up, and BSD GAN came up, and now OSCON's just a little bit away, and episode one hundred just snuck up on me. But uh, if you would, if you're out there, if you're listening to this episode and you're in the Pacific Northwest area and would like to uh, come to the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio for episode 100, shoot me an email, chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com and ccangela at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And for episode 100, we could do a mini meetup here in the studio. It is an open invitation to any of you who'd like to join me next Tuesday around 1 o'clock Pacific time. If you'd like to come in studio and hang out, join me. Just shoot an email, chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And if enough of you show up, I'll do some barbecuing. Maybe. And also, this week, please forgive the air conditioner in the background. It is hot in here. So why don't we start with OSCON? I just gave it kind of a mention, and uh, we're going to be there. The crew, Noel, is going to be like a reduced crew. It's going to be Noah and I. We're going to be getting clips for Unplugged and Linux Action Show. We'll be at OSCON on the 22nd. OSCON itself runs July 20th through the 24th. It's going to be in Portland, Oregon. And here's the big bit. It's the last OSCON in Portland. I know. I think they're moving to, like, Texas. But I'm a little sad uh, because, uh, you know, I can just take the train down to Portland. But I think it's a smart move. They've spent a lot of time in Portland, and Portland's an amazing a- area. But Texas has really seen some serious development. And so it's good. It's a good opportunity. I've been getting a lot of emails from listeners asking me to come down to the Texas area. Over, Really, it's been ramping up over the last couple of years. And now it's a steady drumbeat. Come down to Texas. Come down to Texas. Come down to Texas. And so I think OSCON is also getting that same drumbeat and is responding. So Noah and I were talking about this because we've enjoyed the fact that you know it's sort of like it, it's great to be able to do these conventions that are in our backyard. And when you can take a train ride down to Portland, how do you beat that? So we decided since this is going to be the last OSCON in Portland, going from the 20th through the 24th, we're going to have a little get-together. We're going to have a little party to celebrate it. Because this, why not, right? Because it gives you folks in the Portland area, even if you're not going to OSCON, a chance to catch up with us. We'll talk Linux and open source about all the things that excite us. We'll get together. We'll have some good food. And if you are going to make it to OSCON, you can say hi to us at the conference. We're going to be there Wednesday, July 22nd. We're going to be there Wednesday, July 22nd. And then we're going to go out to dinner at 5 p.m. right now. 
Uh, we have uh, all of the details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. We're going to go to Spirit of 77. It's a bar that has a big area. So if enough of you sign up at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for this one, I got it linked in the show notes. We can reserve the top floor. They have a dedicated area for large groups. And if just a handful of you are going to make it, then we'll just hang out in the bar area down below. Either way, it's going to work out great. So our, our plan is on Wednesday, July 22nd to be at OSCON in Portland, Oregon at the Exposition Center. Got all the details on the meetup page. And then we'll go out to dinner at 5 p.m. And we'll be at uh, Spirit of 77. Now, that may change. Those details may change. The best way to stay informed of that is be at the meetup, ch- at the meetup page. Because if we get a bunch of you that go to the meetup page that are under 21, we might want to change the location. That's why you need to go there and represent so we can let the... Um, the location of how many people are going to show up. So let's go to OSCON. If you're going to be there, use our promo code Linux. You'll get a 20% discount on your ticket. And let's have a party. It'll be good to see all of you guys. And it'll be a belated episode 100 celebration. In the meantime, you're welcome to show up here next week. Just shoot me an email, chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Show up in studio. We'll hang out. I got a mic. You can chat about stuff. And uh, maybe eat some barbecue. Chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com if you want to be here next week. Meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting if you want to join us for dinner while we're in Portland on the 22nd. How about all that? I'm really looking forward to all of that. It's, it's good to get out, especially when it's nice. I want to get out and about. Maybe get a little physical activity in. Now, uh, Mr. Corpse, uh, are you still listening? Come back if you're not in here. And join us when you get a moment, Mr. Corpse. Come back into the mumble room uh, because I want to talk about Soul OS, Soul OS. Now, remember we covered this a little bit ago, the name change. We interviewed the developer and all of this, and they have their first daily ISO available after all of their big transition, all of their big work. This is a, a follow-up to that. We have the results, the fruits of that labor. It's available now for you to go download and try it out. They, they have the Bungie desktop featured right here. In a nutshell, it's built directly from the latest unstable development material, now, it's brand spanking new, and uh, it's available at the uh, high, high price of $0. So uh, you can go check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. It's solos, S-O-L-U-S-project.com. They have their new daily ISO. And I'm just excited. I wanted to give them a little follow-up since we've been watching the project since they left. Mr. Corpse, uh, did you have any, anything to add to the SolOS release or anything from the project that you've heard? Uh, no, I mean, I've used it, and they're, they're actually changing some kind of dependencies with... Uh with some, like, the GNOME and GTK stuff they're doing, so they're actually moving to Clutter. Oh, really? That's the base. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how, like, how much... Like, they said, they said that they were, they, their old dependency was limiting them, so they are going to mm-hmm. change to Clutter to be able to benefit from the Clutter development instead of doing it completely by themselves. It's neat to see these, uh, these distros continue on, and so I wanted to give them uh, a brief mention since we did have them on the show before. And uh, I love it's an interesting it's another take on the GTK3 desktop. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, oh, yeah. I think GTK3 and and GTK is I love the way those applications look. I'm still a huge fan. I think Qt is great too. Um, but maybe you are not a huge fan of the way the GNOME project has sort of moved forward. You're not a huge fan of how they've implemented that vision and you'd like to see another take on it. Check them out. soloes-project.com we'll have a link in the show notes and congrats to them for getting their first ISO out. You know, when they were on the show, they said they were going to do it. But at that time, it was um you know, it was in the in the in the in the shadow of a big name change controversy, a little bit of a, a little bit of a of a mix-up. It seemed a little ambitious. And uh, to, so to hear that passion actually translate to an actual release is is really cool to follow up on a few weeks later. So uh, check it out. Now, I got to tell you about something else that I want to follow up on. That's our first sponsor this week, DigitalOcean. Man, has this been an amazing resource for Jupiter Broadcasting. It started as a recommendation, really, as, a, as one of our hosts. 
he said, hey, you know, I've been using this for my clients, and it's a solid solution. I'm using them so much, I want to talk about it in the show all the time. Maybe they'd make a good sponsor. Man, was Mr. Dominic right. Digital Ocean is perfect for the Jupiter Broadcasting audience. First of all, let's start with the fact that their entire infrastructure is built on Linux, powered by the best virtualizer out there, KVM. That's right. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. Now, what does that really mean? That means you can go get a Linux rig up in the cloud. Now, what's the cloud? That's somebody else's computer. In this case, it's DigitalOcean's computers, the best data centers in the world with the best I.O., the all-SSD infrastructure running on top of Linux. Yeah, that's the route I'm going to take. Thanks. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 a month. That's less than one trip to McDonald's for the entire month or Starbucks. Really? I pay for more than that in a couple of energy drinks. And it's $5 for the entire month. And then I get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. A terabyte. <laughs> DigitalOcean has really got this figured out. So they decided, okay, we're going to go SSD only. We're going to base it on Linux and KVM. And then there's going to be these technologies that we're going to work really closely with. Fedora. Yeah. CoreOS. FreeBSD. Docker. Right? They, they work directly upstream with these projects to make sure they can integrate it at the base level with the DigitalOcean platform. And I love that because they are really contributing back. Or another example is they, there's projects that don't even directly impact them, but they feel are important to open source, so they invest there. Elementary OS is moving off of SourceForge because DigitalOcean is donating the bandwidth to make hosting free for them. So is Ghost. They're getting off the SourceForge. Ghost is an amazing blogging platform that I'm recommending to people all the time, small businesses and people who just want to have their own personal blog. Check out Ghost. And now they're able to get away from SourceForge thanks to DigitalOcean. They didn't have to do that. That doesn't sell more VPSs for DigitalOcean. They did that because that's the right thing for open source. That's awesome, you guys. That's why they built the entire infrastructure on open source because they get it. And man, is their interface amazing. Super intuitive. And you can replicate the functionality of their control panel with their really fantastic API. They've recently revved it, and it's better than ever. It's maybe even a great one to cut your teeth on if you want to do a little programming. And the best part is, if you're never going to get to that point where you're going to do any development around their API, their community has created so many fantastic applications, ones that will integrate into your Linux desktop. There are PPAs available for Ubuntu. There are applications in the Arch user repository for managing your DigitalOcean droplets right now. You could integrate it into your existing lifestyle because there's iOS and Android apps today that all take advantage of this API. It's that good. It's really a nice system. And it's all starting at $5 a month. Go over to DigitalOcean.com. But here is the best part. Use our promo code D-O-Unplug. That's one word, lowercase, D-O-Unplugged. You'll get a $10 credit. With that $10 credit, you try out that $5 rigs. Two, mo- t- two months. Two months. Absolutely free. What a great opportunity to play with CoreOS. Have you heard about FreeBSD, how it's a cohesive system, about how it has ports, about how it has great documentation? Is that legit? Is it the right technology for your business? Try it out on a DigitalOcean droplet, two months, absolutely for free. Just use our promo code DOUnplugged. Is Fedora 22 really the next best Fedora? Try it out, two months, absolutely for free, on a DigitalOcean droplet, out on a public IP with incredible bandwidth and fantastic performance. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code DOUnplugged, seriously, from Testing to production to learning. DigitalOcean has got it covered. DigitalOcean.com, DO Unplugged, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. Check it out. 
All right, so uh, let's cover a couple more things before we get into the topic that I'm really, really, really itching to talk to you guys about. But I want to give a nod to the Mint project. Linux Mint 17.2 Cinnamon Edition has been released, and it came out today. I don't have any current plans to uh, review it, but that may change. One of the things that's interesting about this release is it's supported until 2019. 2019. I wonder how they do that. Probably some sort of... uh, I'm sure they just probably some sort of magic. Uh, so it's I've talked about 1404. Yeah, I know, I know. I, that was that was the joke. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Nice. Uh, so uh, lots of improvements to Cinnamon. I mean, this is really a, uh, a performance improvement to Cinnamon. Multi-monitor support has been improved. Lots of cleanup and performance. Um, I don't really have a lot to add here. In my opinion, the bigger story about Mint. And I mean no disrespect to the project because I think this is a totally valid track to take. The most interesting thing about Mint is that it's getting boring. <laughs> I mean, really though, like it—it's uh, got—it's you know, it's like the good stuff about Ubuntu with some more modern desktop takes on it and some refinements, and it's fine. It works good, and it's exactly like. It continues to be a great option for a lot of people. I just... The more it goes down this path, the less and less it appeals to me. When Mint started, it was Ubuntu plus Codex and other nice things. It was it was all the stuff you did to Ubuntu already done for you in a really tasteful, clean, well-designed way. And then as it moved forward, it stayed along that path, and it deviated, and Cinnamon came up, and Matei came up, and these things came up, as, but they still kind of made sense for the overall, it's Ubuntu, but better. I, I think it's, it's still that, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, for some reason, as it's gone down more the tried-and-true path, and, it, and, it, and it is not pushing, it's almost like it's gotten a little tired. Like, Mint's a little tired right now. And it doesn't want to push the edges anymore. It just wants to continue to build what it knows to be good. The world that it's created continues to be okay. And it wants to refine and iterate on that. And I think maybe that's not all that appealing to me. Mumble Room, what are your thoughts? So my perspective on this is... Mint, as my understanding when I used it, was that they do take a lot of the feedback from the community and what the community deems important as like the first thing to be solved. And I can tell you that uh, you could pretty much complain in the IRC, quote-unquote, and see results in the next week or in the next release about what you just complained. So maybe the stagnation comes from a type of user base that wants some consolidation in some aspects, and because they are doing something slightly different, and perhaps they're stretching a little bit on what they can actually do, and so they're just trying to focus that on a little while until they develop the new concept and it's ready hmm. enough to roll out. So That's and so, my understanding of it. So and so, I wanted to give you a chance to jump in too. Um, so speaking of, of Linux Mint in 17.2, one of the things that they implemented for the Cinnamon Desktop 2.6 is making it better accessible for those with visual impairments and blind users. So it's um, it's begun work. There's still some some work to be done, but it's it's getting it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. Now, Popey, maybe you know, uh, let's let's look at. Uh, there was a really cool video of Mir 8 and the new tasks which are coming out. A lot of changes are coming. Boring could be good, right? 
Well, you know, your perspective, your opening gambit with this was Mint's become boring and uh, not really interested in that anymore. But, for me, for me. I'm sure it's valid for lots of people. Right. Uh, but you said that was a good thing for Mint. You said that the, the fact that Linux Mint has got to that stage where it's now boring and it's putting out boring releases is a good thing for Linux Mint. Yet, the most recent Ubuntu release, you... I don't actually think it is a good thing for Mint. Because it was boring. Because I, I actually do anything I, exciting. I actually so would which, argue... Which do you want? No, I, I, I think maybe you're mischaracterizing. I, I don't actually think long-term, this is a good thing for Mint. I think long-term, this is a sign that Mint is tired. This is a sign that Mint isn't going to truly innovate much more. And that Mint is building out its, its base, its world, its, its island, its embassy. And I think... When you say that's gonna make, isn't going to innovate anymore, what... What like truly innovative things? They've they've added a backup tool. Yeah, um, I, I, their own I, upgrade I mean, tool, I understand. That, yeah, okay, what? all right, okay. I understand your inclination to downplay what they've done, but then I think if you no, apply- I'm not. I'm not downplaying what they've done. I'm just saying you, I I can't reconcile the fact that you say boring is is bad for Mint. Well, come uh, on. Now, you're arguing two things. Which one do you want to argue here? Let's say, let's say I, I, I don't think boring is good for Mint. I think long-term, boring is bad for Mint. I think the more people in my audience that stop caring about Mint, the more people long-term that stop getting referred to Mint, the more momentum over long-time that Mint loses, and eventually Mint sort of goes into obscurity. I think the stability is good. A lot of people want something that isn't going to throw a new desktop at them, something that isn't going to move things around, and yeah. and something that they know that they can upgrade, and they'll yeah. get the latest version of LibreOffice, the latest kernel, the I latest so. this and that, the latest toolkits, uh, the latest Mate or Cinnamon or whatever they choose. They'll get all that latest stuff, but they know that when they boot the machine up the next day, it's going to look exactly the same as it did yesterday. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. With a few little polishes. Yeah, and, and you there know, are a lot of people who want that. Yeah, and those people buy Macs and Windows. But I, but I think the important thing is that to show the user um, how how to use their computer, right? So they don't want to uh, they don't want a desktop to always be changing. They they want a desktop to kind of stay stagnant for a little while. You know what I mean? What 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 if a desktop changes every week or every month? That's kind of kind of kind of put a wrench in the user's now, let's, you know, interface. Come on now, come on now. Let's have a rational, serious discussion about this, and not let's let's not argue the outlier scenarios. Here's the reality: if you're a consumer who values stability and long-term support, you're gonna buy you're gonna buy Windows or Mac OS because those that's what the reputation is. Come on, let's be honest. If you're a Linux user, then you know about things like RHEL. You know about things like Ubuntu LTS. You you understand this game. You've, you're already in here. Or- I think sometimes what we get caught up in is we pretend like we're marketing to some sort of user who's never going to be a Linux user, at least not this generation around. And so what we do is we get caught up on designing these systems that are amazing for this person that doesn't actually exist. Because in, in reality, those people buy based on brand loyalty. That's what it comes down to. What brand do I trust? I trust Dell. I trust HP. I trust Apple. I trust Microsoft. I trust Best Buy. I don't trust Mint. I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know what a mint box is. I don't trust that. I don't buy that. If I want stability, if I want something that's going to work for five years, I don't buy that. I buy a computer that gets Windows 10 or I buy a Macintosh. And that's the reality. And we can all pretend like that's not the reality because it makes us feel better. But the truth of the matter is the market tells us that's the reality. So what we have to acknowledge is there is a certain demographic that uses the Linux desktop in mass. That's developers. That's enthusiasts. That's technical people. That's advocates. That's us. That's this audience. And for 
for those people, Mint is boring. And those are the people that, like, like Noah, who buy laptops and SSDs to convert people, because that's the reality of where we're at right now. Those people will be the people that recommend things like Ubuntu and Mint. And there's only so many people that are going to continue to recommend a distribution that is basically tired and sleepy. I disagree. I think I I would actually do this more just because they are stagnant, because, you know, I don't have to maintain that too much. I think people would use... People who get help from Noah are using Ubuntu or are using Mint, not because they trust the brand, they do it because they trust Noah. And that's how it's been for but, a very but long Noah time. But Noah and AltaSpeed is a brand. I mean, rethink about the way you think about brands. Noah is a brand to his clients. His company is a brand, and they trust that brand. So Noah can give them yeah. this thing called Ubuntu that they've never heard about because they trust brand Noah, right? They're not trusting Ubuntu when he gives them an Ubuntu laptop, just like they're not trusting Linux Mint. And if they didn't have Noah, they would buy something that's a Mac or they would buy something that runs Windows, plain and simple. Well, okay, I agree with that completely, but this, I guess, puts the weight on our shoulders because we technically, because Mint is not trying to push a brand uh, and make Mint be the next big big thing. They are just trying to make the best operating system that's the most user-friendly, right? Right. Which means sometimes the releases will get boring because... They need to focus on bug yeah. fixing rather than adding features, right? But this puts the weight on our shoulders to be the brand. So uh, people who I recommend Ubuntu or Mint to, they will trust me that this will work. I think, and I want to make this clear, I think long term it is not a sustainable course for a distribution, be it Ubuntu or Mint, to be boring. I think short term it is extremely prudent to have a boring arm of your distribution and maybe to have the primary focus of your distribution to be known as stable and boring because Linux itself is undergoing... We're about to talk about a rumor coming up that could fundamentally change the way video is routed under Linux, right? Linux itself is going under a lot of changes. Systemd, containers, ButterFS. And then on the Ubuntu side, the biggest desktop distribution out there, the conversion to Unity 8 and Mir, and all of this is the biggest amount of change we have ever witnessed at one time under the Linux desktop. And so it makes a lot of sense for the market to respond by having these distributions that are sort of a safe refuge from all of that. But I think they will meet a time, there will come a time when Unity 8 or Unity 9 is pretty effing solid, right? And containers are the way we're distributing software. And there's all these things that have caught up. And snapshots are part of your kernel update because you're using ButterFS everywhere. There's all these developments that are going to crop up faster than we expect them to. And these distributions are going to look like 1990s technologies. And they're going to have to realize that they have stuck in an old way of doing things. And they're going to have to find a way to modernize. And the fun thing is, is the one that all of them are looking to is Ubuntu. And it's the one that outwardly, with its LTS releases and, and its very boring Unity releases for many releases now, is the one champion, a boring release is okay. And then they're the ones, they are going to be the very ones that do the switcheroo on us and be like, boom! Everything new is great. Use the new stuff. New is good. Innovation is good. Everybody go this direction. And the entire focus is going to change on all of us. And distributions like Mint are going to be like, wait a minute, I thought, I thought sto- old, stable, and tired, and true was good and it's all going to change out from underneath them and then when that happens their stability and their boringness is going to become a detriment to them and no longer their primary market advantage they have a temporary market advantage today but they need to be looking forward to the future because it's all going to change i believe a year or two down the road 
Well, except for Mint well, already established that they're going to be continuing with more LTS. They're not going to stick to 1404. They're going to go to 1604 as well. So they're going to get the new technologies. They're just doing it in a two-year cycle instead of a six-month cycle. I think it's. I don't think that'll work long term. I think it'll work now. You know what? I think we are running into this the same issue that Node was in as Node.js um, for a while now. Hmm. Is that when Node.js was new and they were just adding features constantly, people were complaining, oh, we can't use this in production because yeah. with every update there are too many changes. So they slowed down as the uh, industry wanted and they slowed down the production, the, the adding features and focused on fixing bugs and it, it was kind of more sustainable for production. And then people started complaining, oh no, we want faster development and more features and they had a fork and IOJS was made. And that didn't work either and now they merged together and we have Node and uh, IO merging to a single project thing. Right. And like there is no perfect solution to this that will work for everyone. It's about finding balance, but this is not just about finding balance for users or, or and but also f- about finding balance for developers. Right. Because developers can put themselves in a situation where they keep adding features with every release and now they have a backlog of, you know, 24 months of the uh, feature development and no bug fixes, right? So yeah. this means that once in a while you will have to focus on fixing bugs and have a few boring releases. I actually, I you know, the the, the chaos of all of this is the best part, right? Uh, it to me, in a way, knowing that this is all going in a certain direction, but today reveling in the in the, in all of the different approaches and all of the different actually very valid ideas and reasonings is is sort of awesome. Uh, I I find it to be sort of like. When you, when you are in the thick of it, it is perhaps a bit maddening. But when you zoom out, it's it seems so obvious and almost intentional in the long run. Uh, Rotten Corpse, I want to give you a chance to say to, to sort of uh, to go at my uh, Windows comparison here. Yeah, I was just going to say that the Windows and Mac thing about this, where people buy because they just they're they're picking a brand, they probably don't really care. They're looking at money, and if or they're looking at their hatred of Windows. So I don't the know, Mac man. Thing is, I think no, people are. I think the general Linux, user is afraid of technology, and I think brands help them make a decision in the lack of other other information to proceed with. Sure, but with with Windows, they don't really make that decision anyway. Even now, they contact someone they know that knows computers because they don't know the difference between this Dell laptop or this Acer laptop or this other Acer laptop, and so on. So, what my point is is that the the Linux thing. The reason why we're people not buying Linux is because either you have no option at all. Or you have a laptop that's ridiculously overpriced, like the <laughs> Librem, which is like fifteen hundred dollars or something. No, no one's going to do that. But no one who's like in that field. I mean, but for now, as as of like what two months ago, there's now that Dell laptop that's two fifty. That's a per- perfectly reasonable price that anybody who doesn't really know anything about it could totally buy. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and I agree uh, that that's a good start. Um, go ahead, Sunsol. You want to come in also about the brands thing? Yeah, just to add on to what Robin Corp is like, uh, most people don't even know what Linux is. I mean, now unless you're in the you know the 
the tech area or, or you you you're, you use it and you, you recommend it to your friends or right. your family or whatever. Yeah. But other people who don't live in this sphere that we live in, a lot of people don't know what Linux is. Yeah. When you, like, for example, like in my school, I mentioned Linux. People are like, "What is that? Is that a terminal? Is that right. is that just a black window with I mean, words?" And that's if you want if you want any if you want to just that's why it's I mean that's why it's called Chrome OS. That's why it's called Chromecast, not Linux Cast, right. not Linux OS on the Chromebook. It's not called the Linux book. It's called the Chromebook. It's not called it's not called Linux a mobile. It's called Android. Right. I, I, people just don't, you know, know what, what's going on. And I, I think if people were more aware or kind of what, what or they wanted to be more aware, I think that would kind of help the issue. See, up. and this is the this is where uh, I don't think this is ever, ever, ever going to change. And maybe it's because I've been doing the Linux Action Show for nine years and it's never changed in that nine years. Maybe it's because Linus Torvald said that Linux is successful when people don't know they're using Linux. And so it's even at the very top of Linux. And maybe it's because... Um, Companies are motivated to brand things as their very own. Even even when that company is a company like Canonical, they want to brand it as their own and not call it Linux. They want to call it Ubuntu or they want to call it Android. This is the natural inclination of the commercial entities that are involved with Linux. So maybe it's one of those three reasons. I think the community and I think the public at large will never, ever, 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 ever accept Linux as a brand as anything but a technical thing. Because these three major interests, it is in their best interest to rebrand these things, to rebrand these technologies, to own these technologies, to make them look bigger and better. And to be honest, open source makes that possible. It's kind of the beautiful thing about it, is it is a general technology-enabling platform that allows people to create products, services, and all kinds of other things around it. And so people like Google and people like all other companies like Samsung can take it and call it whatever they can call it Tizen. They don't have to call it Linux. Well, but that means that the general public is never going to trust the name Linux. And so we cannot expect that things like Linux Mint are ever going to be applicable to an average user. That is a bullshit fantasy. That's why I call it Mint and not Linux Mint. Well, yeah. Well, let's, 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 let's pause this for a second. If you were to actually make money off of something called Linux... Wouldn't you then have to apply for use of the trademark... Linux name <laughs> yeah, that I guess Linux so. Foundation uses, yeah, yeah. but this makes it a lot more complicated because <laughs> you can call it Linux whatever. Like if you are not making money off of it, I'm, I'm guessing it's fine. But Linux, as far as I know, is a trademark that You're Linux right. Foundation correct. owns. Correct, correct, correct. And so it's in those companies' best interest not to use a trademark name. Even. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So it's never going to happen. It's never going to be a generally public thing. But you know what? That's okay because Linux doesn't need that. That gives that gives other platforms like Ubuntu, like Android, a chance to shine. And then that gives us the knowledge of knowing, well, Linux powers all these things. So become an expert in Linux and you understand all of these things. I mean, it's a good thing if we take ego out of it. But see, we have ego all wrapped up in this because we want to convince other people to use the technology that we use. We want to advocate for it. So we want things like Linux Mint because that gives us the idea that we could advocate to average users they could use this. And so we hold it up there as this iconic idea, the average person coming over, because in reality, it makes us feel better. But the truth is, that's not how it's going to work. I just want to make that point. That's why, that's why, that's my super, sorry, not to interrupt you, Rodden, but I just want to complete my thoughts so that way it doesn't sound like I'm just rambling. That's why it's my super long answer to Popey, why I think it's not necessarily long-term a good idea for it to be boring. Because I think if you're honest about who the market is here, it's people that listen to this show, honestly, and what they're going to recommend. And they're going to recommend 
things that excite them, things that to them seem like an idea that has momentum, things to them that seem like have a future seem to. Oh, definitely not. Yes, yes, absolutely. I I'm not. I'm not saying. Ex- I'm not saying rolling, but seem, but things that feel like they're going to rec- be around for a while. I always recommended boring disc shows. That could be L. That could you know be. What? Why couldn't that because be Ubuntu Mate? I, why can't that be Ubuntu Mate? I don't want to. I don't want to explain to someone once I'm, I can move to some other place in the menu and they can't find it anymore. With boring distros, you know, if some icon is in one place and if you want to go to settings, it will always be in the same spot because that's what boring distros do. Don't boring listen. It's sometimes good. Don't misinterpret my words for advocating rolling release for everybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's that's distributions out I there like here. today, there's a distributions out there like Ubuntu 14.04 and Ubuntu Mate and, and Mint. And they are serving a purpose today Today, today, and I'm not. I'm not I, trying to discourage anybody from using them today. See, here's the thing. I stopped. This is not even about rolling. I stopped recommending Ubuntu to people when Unity first came out, just because things were moving around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know this is always the issue. It's not an issue for me because I always can do things through the terminal. I don't care where the icons are, right? But for a lot of users, some icon being moved somewhere else is a big deal because now they will spend five minutes looking for it. Yeah. And it's it's frustrating. So I recommend distros that are by many in this community considered boring. Now I want to give Daredevil in the final thought and because uh, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to just put my thoughts in episode ninety nine and I will replay this clip in two, three years and uh, and see where things stand. Now but uh, Daredevil you wanted to uh, get a, a point in so I'll let you have our closing thought. So apparently they are selling mint boxes and they have their user base. They are one of the few distributions that has a system to get feedback from the users and do like that it's that even the other users can see the feedback because just the software center alone that has the ratings and the comments, you can have a perception just by using the system of what is changing or what where people want change. So from those things, I think Mint has enough data to make their own decisions. I think it's too much of us to say that it's boring or it's not going to be good just based on what we're seeing as not using the distro because apparently they have other things going on that we're just not aware of just yet. I mean, how much are they selling off Mint boxes? Which type of users are acquiring these Mint boxes? Why are these companies deciding to partnership to make Mint boxes in the first place? So all of this information might actually be counterproductive to what our, we are saying right here, right now, just because we don't know how that's going on. Mm, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, think the, uh, I think the evidence is in the fact that Canonical refo- refocused on the desktop and or refocused on mobile and gave up on the desktop, even though there's vendors out there shipping it. But I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll leave it at this. Uh, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. We'll have a feedback thread for 99. Let me know your thoughts. I think... It is. Uh, I think it's a great release, and I think the guys uh, like Clem. I think he is one of the most respectable people in the open source community, and I think the Mint project is one of the most respectable distributions. It's a classy distribution. I think what they're focusing on right now is exactly what the community needs right now. And I bet if anybody like Clem is clever enough, as the tide turns down the future, like I think it will, Clem is clever enough to turn with it. I don't think the Mint project is any long term risk. I just don't think it excites me right now. I don't find it particularly compelling. And I wouldn't be too surprised to find that to be the audience of, or the opinion of most of our audience. But maybe I'm wrong. 
I want to talk about our sponsor first, and then we'll get into the topic that I think is maybe the biggest deal of the week. It's not strictly even Linux-related. Mm, yeah, no, well, no, it's not strictly Linux-related, but it probably impacts all of us. So uh, I want to uh, take a minute, though, and talk about Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com to support this show. And, boy, today's the last day. So if you're listening right now and you've been on the fence about Ting, make the move. Here's how I would make the decision. To be honest, you just got to go with your gut. But go to linux.ting.com and then click that savings calculator. Here's the difference about Ting. You only pay for what you use. It's a flat $6. It's tax. And then your usage on top of that. Your minutes, your messages, your megabytes. Ting adds them all up. That's what you pay for. And they have a GSM network and a CDMA network. They're huge. So that means if you get a device that's good, like a Nexus 5, or any competent, you know, any device, any Nexus, de- well, I would go with the Nexus 5, but really any Android device that's dual SIM or any, any GSM, any device that has CDMA and GSM SIMs in it, then you have the flexibility of moving between CDMA and GSM. Now, for me, that's particularly appealing because I attend conferences. I want to go on road trips. I like the idea of picking the network that's the strongest. But maybe you have really strong GSM or CDMA and you could just pick a single phone. You have a lot of flexibility with Ting. And as power users, having those kinds of flexibility and those kinds of options is really nice. And not only does Ting have no-hold customer service, so you're not going to get stuck in in a call queue, in a call tree, which we know we've got more we've got better things to do than play, than play that game. You call them right now. Call them right now 1855tingftw. If you're listening live, you could call them right now because they they have they have no hold customer service during business hours on the East Coast. I've never actually needed to use that. They have a really good online community, a really 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 good dashboard and they have apps for Android and iOS. Which you can like set up device usage alerts. You can turn devices on and off. Oh, that's the other neat thing. So like, if you want to get like a Ting MiFi, go to linux.ting.com. Ending today, fifty dollars off a device. Or if you're gonna get like a MiFi, they're gonna give you a fifty dollars service credit. Do this. Do this. Go get the MiFi and get fifty dollars of data credit. Because here's the thing: you're only paying for what you use. So it's flat $6, and then you get a MiFi device, and they've got, like, tri-band devices. They've got GSM devices. If you've got one and you just want to go get a $9 SIM, Ting will give you a $9 GSM SIM you can put in an existing MiFi device if it's unlocked. Oh, and by the way, Ting devices are unlocked. Yeah. Yeah, all their devices are unlocked. So, uh, anyways, you can get a MiFi device. You go to linux.ting.com. You get a $50 discount. Now, I think for the MiFi, instead of giving you money off the device itself, they give you service credit. But, oh, my God, dude, that is going to last you months. And here's the best part about Ting. You can go into the Android app or their dashboard on their website, and you can just turn the device off, like, if you're not going to use it for a month or two. And then you don't pay for anything. But, like, worst-case scenario, if you accidentally forget to turn the device off, like, you accidentally leave it on, but you don't use it, you're out $6. It's a $6 hotspot. I would pay $6 just to have the Internet available all the time. Like, hey, guys, you want Wi-Fi? Yeah, I got a hotspot right there. Like, I could always be the guy that's got Wi-Fi. $6 freaking hotspot a month. And you get a $50 worth of credit when you go to linux.ting.com. Now, that's, that's only good till the end of today. And then it's a $25 credit. That probably still lasts you more than two, three months. I don't know. It's up to your, it depends on your usage. And then you can go get great phones. They got the best phones. Everything from like $70 feature phones, $60 feature phones, all the way up to the best Androids. Like the S6, the Nexus 6, the Moto X2. All unlocked. Linux.ting.com also supports the Linux Unplugged program. Would you like to see us do another 99 episodes? Linux.ting.com. 
Go to linux.ting.com and a big, big thank you to Ting. And by the way, Ting's not just doing this all to wireless. They're not just changing up the wireless industry. They're also bringing fiber internet out there, which is really neat. Go check out their blog for uh, their fiber internet service initiative. Could you imagine like the Ting model to fiber internet? Yeah, they're trying to do it. Linux.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. All right, so let's talk about... Oh, man, I can't even believe I have to say this out loud. This actually bothers me quite a bit. Cisco is buying OpenDNS for $635 million with the deal to close in the first quarter of 2016. Um, OpenDNS has uh, – it's special to me. OpenDNS is a service that you can go to to help filter out porn, gambling sites, um, malware, all from afar. You just set your DNS up to the OpenDNS servers, and you can create an account, and you can set up a client if, you're, if you have a dynamic IP address, and it automatically filters these things. And as a parent, this is such a great solution. I don't have to worry about putting you know, parental controls on each individual computer. I set it at the router to use OpenDNS, and I filter it there. Or as a, as a client contractor, I could go into my clients and be like, yeah, you want me to block malware and viruses? I could do some global filtering. Let me set your, up, your upstream DNS to open DNS. It's such a cool service. And in fact, not only do I have like that connection to it, but in terms of traffic to the Jupiter Broadcasting website and the YouTube channel, on YouTube alone, uh, our, our coverage, let's see, let me, I'll pull it up right now. Um, let's see, it's in here somewhere. Open DNS, 178,000 people watched my video on Open DNS, and way more downloaded on Open DNS. Uh, I covered, I did a coverage of Open DNS on December 19th, 2008. This is extremely embarrassing. I mean, this is extremely embarrassing. But I'm going to play it for you because I want you to know how near and dear Open DNS is to my heart. But this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever played on this show. In this episode of an in-depth look, I'm going to go deep into Open DNS and maybe why you should be using Open DNS for your network. The alternate title for this episode was, is, "Hey, look at Open DNS! How awesome is this? How come I never knew about this?" Open DNS in this episode of an in-depth look. I'm going to assume that most of you probably know what DNS is. If you don't, hit the pause button and then go Wikipedia DNS and then come back. Quick summary is it helps you resolve IP addresses to names. If you browse the web, you're using it. If you send emails, you're using it. So I've always just used the DNS provided to me by my ISP, who happens to be Comcast, which, you know, sure. I thought DNS was DNS, no big deal. And then... Lately, there's been some talk about OpenDNS and how it was patched against against a vulnerability that had come out that a lot of the main ISPs hadn't patched against yet. Some poisoning issues where someone could type in a, in a, a URL and a, a poisoned DNS server could give you a bad record and send you to a site that was either bogus or a phishing site or something like that. And that kind of piqued my interest, so I thought, well, I'll go check out this OpenDNS thing, see what this is about. So I jumped to OpenDNS.org, and the thing that immediately struck me right away is they put their DNS IP addresses, their IP addresses right there at the bottom of the page. So there was no hoops to jump through, no account to sign up. If I wanted to start using OpenDNS, I could. And it was fairly evident to me pretty quickly that one of the advantages to doing that would be OpenDNS seems to have um, regional DNS servers, which for, for me, I'm in the Seattle area, and they have a uh, data center here in Seattle. 
and they have a bunch of one, other ones uh, around the United States, and they're adding them around the world. And so it was fast. I wouldn't say I noticed a huge difference, but it did seem to me that my name resolution was snappier. So I stuck with that for a couple of weeks, thought, hey, this is neat. And it kind of struck me. I went back to OpenDNS's website, and I saw that there was an option to make an account. And I thought, okay, well, what does this account do? What's the benefit? And I, I had some assumptions that I, I didn't really quite understand it. So I went and I created an account at OpenDNS, and I learned quite a few things. Now, I, uh, my day job is I'm an IT consultant, and uh, one of the things I have a lot of issues with is uh, phishing and viruses and, and malware sites that my clients accidentally stumble upon. <clears throat> OpenDNS has the ability, once you create an account, you give it your IP address that your DNS queries will be coming from. So in my case, I uh, configured my router, and I said, router, use these DNS servers instead of the Comcast DNS servers. And then I went to OpenDNS, and he said, okay, OpenDNS, here's my IP address. Now, like most of you on a DSL or cable modem or some sort of home broadband, your IP address is dynamic, it changes. Not an issue. OpenDNS makes a client available for Windows, Mac, and Linux that you can load on your machine, and it basically goes back and reports to OpenDNS when you have a new IP address. So they automatically get the update, and they always know what network number you're coming from. Once they have your IP address, you can do things like enable filtering. Maybe you're a parent and you don't want your children going to sites that aren't appropriate for children. Or maybe, like you're like me, and you only have adults in the house, you don't care what they do, but you do want to protect against malware and phishing sites. So I have Minecraft. Oh, wow. I can only imagine a time when I only had ad- adults in the house. I'm going to stop right there because the chat room is dying. But that gives you the basic summary of OpenDNS. If you want to watch the rest of the video, uh, go screw yourself. I'm not going to tell you even how to find it. If you don't know how to find that, then you probably don't even need to bother. Uh, it's horrible, and uh, that was embarrassing. But I really have a deep connection to Open DNS, and so today, when I read the news that Mother Effing Cisco <laughs> was buying Open DNS, I had a little bit of a mental breakdown. I love Open DNS. I have so many clients in the past that are still using Open DNS. Uh, hold on, don't, don't give away the secret sauce. Uh, I have to wonder: Is this the beginning of the end of Open DNS, or am I overreacting? Can someone in the mumble room talk me down? What do you guys think? Is Cisco buying OpenDNS going to be awful? Um, I can say I don't care. Oh, really? Tell me why. OpenDNS was already awful. <gasps> Baby. Yeah. OpenDNS Open has ads everywhere. They oh, they t- overtake. Certain, if something fails, they give you this massive mm. uh, ad-infested garbage portal where there's other services like OpenNIC, which is much better. Oh. It doesn't do any of the stuff that OpenDNS does. Oh. So I don't care that they're buying something that is trash anyway. I love it. So anybody that thinks that I only have YesMen working with me, reference that moment right there. Because I totally disagree. I think that OpenDNS put a really friendly face on something that was completely unapproachable to the masses, and it was something I could oh. show the average user how to go manage. Yeah, it used to be good in 2008. It is not now. <laughs> All right, well, you're making me feel better, at least, if nothing else. Uh, I love it. I, I still think it's okay. All right, uh, Mountain Dev, you want to also chime in on Open Nick? Go ahead, sir. Mountain Dev? Open- oh, go ahead. I'm using Open Nick, and it's working pretty well, but Open DNS used to offer free, free um, dynamic DNS service. And they quit doing that a long time ago, too. Jeez. <sighs> wow. All right. Okay, Ham Radio. Layden, Layden, please jump in. 
<laughs> All right, Chris. Well, I totally agree with you. Uh, I love OpenDNS. I've used D- OpenDNS for years. Uh, I, ha- I I have configured all of the com- uh, my clients' computers. Whenever I work on a computer for a client, I always search them over to OpenDNS. There you go. Um, there you go. If, even if they don't use the filtering, I always search them over to OpenDNS. Um, I've been using OpenDNS for myself for years, uh, my family for years. I've used the filtering. I think it's great, and I love them. Can can I ask you something? You you, you say you give it to everybody. Have you tried anything else? (laughs) Damn it. No. (laughs) All right, so... You make actually. I'm. I'm super. You actually. I was seriously kind of going. I was getting on the bum train. And I was gonna. I had an express pass to Bumtown, and you were actually making me feel a lot better about this. So apparently, there's other things to try out there. Uh, but uh, Corky says I love Open DNS. Chris Lass, and so do hundreds of other sysadmins. Corky, how come the hell you're never in the ch- in the mumble room? Damn it. Damn it. I could use your backup right now. But I. You know what? I will give Open Nick a shot. I'll switch it over here. Now, also, we have covered on the TechSnap program. If uh, you have watched. There are times when using Google DNS and Open DNS and Open NIC aren't necessarily the best. Sometimes, now this is less and less and less and less of a problem, but sometimes CDNs have a hard time figuring out where you're coming from when you use these global DNS services. So, anyways, I won't, I won't, I won't talk over my pay grade. But Alan goes into more details in TechSnap, and you can do some searching around the web, the web for that. Oh, okay, I got to give uh, Rikai a plug. Here. He says. Uh, because this Recapedia has always got a good got, got sound advice. He says, "I gave up on Open DNS when the redirect failed DNS resolutions to their custom search page." Yeah, yeah, the custom search stuff is total crap. I when when Rotten mentioned that, I, I kind of had to agree. Uh, oh, but uh, Imacon says that Open Nick doesn't have any kind of filtering. Is that true, Rotten? Um, it doesn't have any filtering that by default, but you can you can do filtering. All right, so I can say block Which- porn, block malware, block. Gambling, not not at that level, not at that level. I so mean, it doesn't do what OpenDNS does at all, then? No, people. Most people don't even use OpenDNS for that. They use it to get it off of their current no. ISP or to not no. use Google or stuff like that. No, no, it is yeah, to provide network-wide prevention of porn and spam and malware. I don't know. I, I've I haven't tried. I've never tried to filter my DNS, so I've don't. I've not even tried to do open Nick. So it's because you never want not. to stop having porn displayed on your screen. That's, that's, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheerio, I always found it very effective. Popey, Popey, can I ask you a personal question? Because you, you you're closer than I am, and I, I'm I'm more I'm much further away from this. But have you considered parental filtering? And if you have, have you considered open DNS? So I actually use OpenDNS. My my router uh, or my the, the the box that connects me to the internet actually has those uh, the OpenDNS as the default DNS uh, servers. Um, so my kids around the house have iPads, Android tablets, you know, uh, computers, and they all default to whatever the router gives them, which is right. OpenDNS, Same and here. is set to. Um, you know, block all the naughty stuff. But I mean, I'm not. I'm not using that as a replacement for being a good parent. You know, um, and also it doesn't work in some situations. Like they can still read the comments on YouTube. They can sure. still visit right. like pretty crappy if there's, videos on YouTube. Yeah, so if there's crap perfect, on YouTube, it doesn't prevent that. Right. right. It does not replace parenting. But what I, where I notice it is if I want to go to one of those websites, I have to change the DNS settings on my own device (laughs) in order to override my own control. Are you Um, concerned at all about two things? One, are you concerned about Cisco mucking this up? That's the first one. Um, 
No, because I think OpenDNS came along because there was a need for them to exist. And if Cisco screw it up, someone else will come along and replace Ooh, it. That's nice. I like that. Okay. Here's what – can I tell you what actually freaks me out about this? And I'm wondering if this scares you too. I don't like any other solution for Linux. And I want my kids to use Linux. But I don't want them – I mean – I need to have some – I just want to protect them, like, from really nasty stuff. And I felt like OpenDNS struck that balance of Look, me having some filtering but allowing – not having to worry about installing nanny software on Linux, and which is going to suck. So are you worried about that at all? Let's be realistic. Like, what you know, what are you trying to hide them from? Rotten.com or youporn.com? Yeah, what, what exactly are you trying to protect them from? Because the fact is – that most people are either most children are more vulnerable to uh, things like members of their own family i'm not accusing you chris but uh, they're more likely to be uh, attacked by a member of their own family or it would be in a chat situation so something like someone connecting to them on instagram or uh, whatsapp or something which won't be blocked by any of these tools hmm. so they are almost 100 percent ineffectual they're, they're, they make you feel better, but they actually don't do that much good at all. Wise. Very wise. Inagogo, you wanted to make a mention about a proxy server here. Well, it's, the proxy server seems to be the best between both worlds because it blocks subdirectories of certain websites and it, cache, it blocks domains and it caches stuff depending on how you got it set up. So you can bring down your usage and filter bad sites. Yeah, I like that. Um, you're right. Uh, that just takes more work. And it makes me want to use PFSense, which isn't Linux-based. But you're right. That would be a great solution. Uh, uh, Rikai says, open Nick has DNS blacklisting. There's also Norton Connect Safe DNS servers that have filtering against porn. You know what? There's going to be a lot of porn filtering stuff out there. So there's a lot of solutions, I'm sure. And that, but that's, that's less of my worry. Like, my daughter recently, I mean, she's got an iPhone. And recently, she signed up for uh, Instagram. And I didn't know this at the time. Mm. And we thought we'd educated her in the school, do uh, a good uh, internet safety thing. But, you know, she took her phone to a theatre where she was performing. And backstage with all the other kids, they were all talking about their Instagram account. So she set up an Instagram account. Now, she's in a completely different network on as a guest on their Wi-Fi where they don't use OpenDNS. So any controls that I implement at home right. are completely useless because she's sat on someone else's network. And that's going to be more and more the case, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, that's, that's the reality, especially uh, for kids, is it's going to be on these mobile devices. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you guys have made me feel a lot better about that. Thanks, guys. That was nice. That was like, I feel like that was a good session for Chris. That was really good. Why don't we... Uh, Let's break it up. Uh, let's change gears. Let's talk about gaming really quick. I can't believe it. Valve says that the pre-orders for the Steam machines and the controller have sold out. Valve is sold out of the controllers as of today. And the Steam machines, um, which are supposed to launch on November 10th, which could be a really good sign for gamers and Linux. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of things that are moving in this area right now. A lot of interesting developments around Vulkan, around Metal, around DirectX 11, around Crossover bringing DirectX 11 and, and DirectX 12. I mean, so much is happening right now in the gaming space. So it is critical that the Steam machines start to make some movement here. And the fact that they're sold out, I think, is a good sign. But Rotten Corpse, you're disappointed by it. Tell me why. 
Um, I'm disappointed about the news because I neglected to get a controller before this one. <laughs> yeah, same here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I ordered the controller and the link. You know, this is what Chris does. And you guys all think, all. Uh, by the way, all of you jerks out there that think I just buy stuff because I have their toys, screw you. I hate you. I bought this so that way I could talk about it. I want to try to talk about it as soon as possible on the Linux Action Show and Linux Unplugged. So I pre-ordered the controller and the link. I'm not a big gamer, but I want to have an opinion on them. So hopefully those will arrive. We will see. And I'll have a review soon. I, I, I don't know if Valve can make the ultimate controller, but we'll see. Uh, Mountain Dev, you say it's disappointing, perhaps? Why do you think so? Well, it might be because they underestimated the amount of people that would buy the controller. Ah, ah. Ah, perhaps, perhaps. I think but it builds a bit of a buzz. Exactly. That It gives it press by saying, hey, we sold out, so even more people are talking about it, so even more people are wanting it. So then when they get the nut, not, this is not the only shipment they're ever going to do. So it's just going to give more pressure for the next time that they do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And here's exa- – here, now, if you want to – who wants to take bets? Let's, let's, let's get a poll going. Chat room, do this. Will this thing – will it ship? The Smack Zero, will it ship? Yes or no? Somebody saw a straw poll right now. Smack Zero, will it ship? Yes or no? Also known – it was previously known as the Steam Boy – it is a handheld steam machine. Are you seeing this thing? If you're watching the video version, it's, it's, it's precious. It's got an AMD embedded G-series system on the chip graphics. It's got the egg water-based CPU. And, uh, of course, it's got some built-in Radeon graphics with 4 gigabytes of RAM, 32 gigabytes of memory, and an SD card slot. Yeah, it's got a 5-inch touchscreen with a 720p bad boy resolution and also configurable tactile gamepads, HDMI output, Wi-Fi connectivity and 4G mobile connectivity in the Pro model. It is a handheld Steam machine. And I would cast my vote as never ship. Strawpole, somebody in the chat room go make it. Will the Smack Zero ship, yes or no? Rikai says, so what'll, yes. What will happen is uh, Ben Heck will just put a PC in a, in a, a tiny <laughs> box, and there you go. It's done. All you've yeah. got to do is watch Ben Heck's YouTube channel, and he puts everything in tiny boxes, job done. Yeah, that is. The- <laughs> or try and battery power the Steam Link with right. some form of uh, display. What we need yeah, to do, that's what or needs to do. go ahead. I, they, 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 obviously, I think the best solution is just to get like make the Nvidia Shield work with the Steam right? stuff. Yeah, that yeah. would be nice. And you got the pretty much the exact same thing, but also a, you know a full controller and not that weird game gear looking thing. So, Micah eighty nine has his ear to the news here. He says pricing comes out in August with possible launch mid twenty sixteen. <laughs> oh, I want one of those. It's I would ugly. do actually. I, want one. I would kind of want it. <laughs> I feel like if this doesn't ship, we should do a segment on how to build one somehow. There's got to be a way. This has got to be doable now. I think it's called. I remember what it was called on the Pi to basically do NVIDIA streaming. Yeah, exactly. Or actually, you could do Steam streaming. You could just, like, if there was some way to get the, the Pi to do Steam Link or something like that, uh, you'd, have ba- you'd basically have all that you need to have to get this thing to work. All right, so I teased it earlier just before we get out of the gaming altogether. I know you guys, a lot of you out there don't care about gaming that much. If you would just like a nice, casual, fun game that's a little exhilarating, kind of gets the adrenaline going... Doesn't have a lot to doesn't have a lot of setup. Doesn't have a lot of story. It's a racing game. It's called Distance. It's the game you never knew you wanted on Linux, but it's here now. I've been playing it for a couple of weeks. It's I think still kind of in the early stages. Uh, Distance is a survival racing game that combines intense action of arcade racing with the exploration of atmospheric world. Now, I'll show you what that means here in a second. What I actually do is I I crank up a. a <laughs> 
<laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. I crank up Dead Mouse in the background and I play this game. But here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll play a little bit on the uh, video version for you to see. It's a really intense racing game in the future, and it's it's a lot of fun. And it does have a great built-in soundtrack as well. As you can see here, you're driving around, you get booster, you get thrusters, you got to make jumps. The tracks are very futuristic and crazy, and you get points for making additional moves. And it's multiplayer, which is a lot of fun, and it's um, right now it's available on Steam. It's called Distance, and uh, it is playable. Here's the other thing I like a lot about it, is it's playable on my XPS 13 in 4K resolution on the Iris 5500, and it scales up very nicely up to my dedicated desktop with an NVIDIA 770 or 780, something in uh, graphic series. So it, it plays very nicely on a wide range of Linux desktops. Uh, you may even be able to play this one with the open source graphics. Uh, I've experimented a little bit with the open source graphics at a 1080p resolution and was still able to play this game. So this is one of these games that is nice to kind of actually still get a little enjoyment about it, out of your video card without having to load the proprietary driver. But if you do load the proprietary driver, then you get things like 4K resolution or you get things like on the NVIDIA machine. Like you get the music pumping, you get the high resolution stuff going. It's, it scales up pretty well. And uh, it's a nice intense game. It's called Distance. And it's available on the Steam store right now. And it's my current favorite. Along with this and Race the Sun, they both are have a similar feel to it and uh gaming on linux just did a write-up and they said and i agree they said it's the uh, one of the best linux games you don't know about that you need right now distance and i have no idea how much it cost it doesn't matter it's worth it go check it out it's on steam it's not open source it's not free um it's just to give yourself a good time for a few minutes and you don't have to even have crazy ass graphics you can get by with on the intel graphics which 20 bucks 20 bucks. Thank you. Wow. Would you, were you looking it up while I was talking about it? Yes. Dude, nice producer, Ian. Very well done, sir. Very well done. Uh, oh, Rikai suggests we should do a faux show versus distance. I agree. That should be the next faux show for sure. Is, uh, or maybe not the next, but the next versus is distance. It's a good game. Linux, it's funny. We've got first-person shooters. We've got tons of tactical games. Uh, we've got lots of pixel games, pixel art games, but we don't have a lot of racing games. And so this is actually a pretty decent one. $22 if you're Canadian, says Sean PC. Nice backup producing, Sean. Thank you from the Canadian perspective. I know that seems like a lot, but you're also contributing to the development, and it is truly a fun game. And the fact that they're developing it, in, it with Linux support and parity I think is worth supporting, at least me. And, and for me, that's worth backing. But it's up to you. Check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. Now, for uh, yeah. completeness, it's fourteen ninety nine in proper British money. Oh, that is quite proper, actually. Thank you, sir. Wow, look at that. Good tertiary producing, Mr. Popey. Tertiary producing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I got one last topic. It's only a rumor. We don't do rumors a lot. Like the Mac guys, those SOBs, they get like... That's, that's their bread and butter. In fact, they don't even have facts. They have rumors and intentions and, and mysticism. And in Linux, we have, like, mailing lists and code and discussions out in the open. It's all very, very real. It's all very concrete. Very rarely are there rumors about a feature coming to the Linux desktop that literally could change everything. And it's called, get ready for this, Pulse Video. Pulse video. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, I got to tell you about our last sponsor, Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our 33% discount. Now, Linux Academy is basically a better idea than Jupiter Broadcasting. I'm going to be honest with you. It's what I should have done. If I could do over, I might have gone this route. Uh, when, I, when, we started going, when we started developing how-to Linux, 
I realized there is a serious opportunity here. But here's the thing. I'm not an educator. I'm not an educator? Well, obviously. I'm not, a, I'm not a college professor. I can't teach people stuff. I can talk a lot, barely, most of the time. About 50-50. Depends if I've gone to a brewery before I've done a show. But most of the time, I am not the best educator. I'm an enthusiast. I'm passionate about Linux. I'm passionate about open source. I watch the trends. That's where Linux Academy closed the gap. See, they took these open source enthusiasts for Linux and, and all of this, and they paired them up with the educators. And they paired up with, with developers. And they created the Linux Academy platform. And that gives them the secret sauce that sites like Linda and the other crap sites, that they cover everything, but it's not their life passion. So they don't go as deep as you need them to go, as you want them to go, as deep as you go, right? That's the problem, isn't it? Is you go deeper than all these other people go because this is your passion. This is your hobby. This is what you think about. These other sites, it's a checkbox. It's a checkbox for them to say they have courses on Red Hat certification. That's insulting. I'm not going to spend my hard-earned money on a site where a Linux course is a checkbox to them. I want to spend my hard-earned money on a site where Linux and open source is all they do because that's what they care about. That's why the Linux Academy has things like their foundation grant where they're going to give $5,000 to open source projects. They have self-paced courses. You can go take over 1,500 courses where you can pick your Linux distribution, 7 plus distros, all of the courseware changes, all of the VPSs that they'll spin up on demand for you change to match that distribution. Scenario-based labs, that way you'll work with the real, serious, awesome open source technology hands-on. When you go out there and you go into the employment place, you've worked with this stuff. What does that mean? That means you have the confidence. That means that the first time you have to go work with an Nginx config file in the real world isn't when you're on the job. It's when you're on a Linux Academy VPS. It means the first time you've ever learned OpenStack isn't on the job. It's when you're on Linux Academy and you have instructor help to back you up. You have an awesome community that, to be honest, at this point, the, de- the deck is stacked for you guys. It's full of Jupyter Broadcasting community members. So they're there to really cheer you on. And I get emails from them about they take, in the, they take this courseware and then they go get these certifications. And Linux Academy has the best stuff on Docker, OpenStack, VirtualBox, VMware, KVM, and of course the AWS entire stack. All of the Red Hat stuff that you need to go get a serious job or to get that next notch on the review, they've got it. And then last but not least, if you're an old salt, they've got these nuggets. I love this. When you're in between courses, go check out these nuggets. A single how-to that walks you through doing specific tasks. They don't belong necessarily in an entire course. You know, they can be two to 60 minutes long. It's like, boom, deep dive on this topic. Get better on this thing that you've been meaning to do and expand on it. Everything from, like, backup snapshots, all this stuff in just a nugget. It's so slick. And you can get started right now. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Get our 33% discount. And just enjoy it for a little while. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. You guys are awesome and keep up the great work. Now, the grousing about Pulse Audio hasn't even died down yet. But it looks like the beans may have been spilled on Pulse Video. Now, Pharonix is reporting there may be an announcement imminent concerning some of the Pulse video project details. Now, an open source contributor at Red Hat, Christian Schaller, has worked on GStreamer in the past. He's also worked on GNOME and transcoding apps, other multimedia projects. He seems ready to announce Pulse video. Now, the reason why this came out is on the GNOME Planet feed, seemingly by mistake, 
a link to a blog post with a password protecting it named Introducing Pulse Video hit the RSS feed. When you refresh, it also says Fedora Workstation Next Steps Introducing Pinos. Now, when you look around, there's no other references to Pinos when searching the GitHub or the old Git repository, but there is some references to Pulse Video. Oh, 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 actually, it looks like there's an announcement right now. As we read this right now, Pinos has been announced for, oh, wow, this is, wow, breaking right now. Hold on. Let's break it out, you guys. This is incredible happening right now on the show. Holy smokes. Oh, my gosh. The no, that's not it at all. Get out of here. It's this one. Oh, my goodness. Fox News alert. Pinos is Linux video. What Pulse Audio is for audio. Just a few hours after this story, it's been announced. Pulse Video is ready to go for Fedora Workstation to improve Linux video support. In a new blog post to explain one of the original goals of Pinos was to provide the same level of advanced hardware handling for video that Pulse Audio provides for audio. For those of you who have been around for a while, you might remember how you once upon a time could only have one application using a sound card at a time. Pulse Audio properly fixed that. Well, Pinos will allow you to share your video camera between multiple applications and also provide an easy API to do so. Holy shit. Holy shit. This could be huge for Jupiter Broadcasting. This... Oh my god, this could enable an entire generation of applications that are competitive with Wirecast. If this is done right. Wow, this is a huge deal, and this is happening right now. I mean, so uh, this is interesting because one of the things that uh, Jupiter Broadcasting, mostly me, <laughs> is trying to figure out is if we continue to raise funds at patreon.com slash today, I kind of want to do what Popey is doing. Or I'm not, no, Popey. Sorry, Popey. You guys all look the same. Well, I kind of want to do what Wimpy is doing, and, and I want to contribute some of the extra funds. or not really extra, but I want to contribute some of the funds to open source projects that we are migrating to. So almost on a monthly basis, we replace some sort of proprietary component in our chain with an open source component. And as we do that, I, I, I feel like I should contribute to them, and I should, I should help enable their development. This is, this is exactly what we need. It, this is huge for us. So... um. So most of you out there think of QuickTime as this POS de- desktop application that is just atrocious. And, and, and then don't even, don't even get me started on the browser plugin on Windows. Just awful. In reality, the QuickTime API and the subsystem on OS X is amazing. It's what enables Final Cut and Wirecast and Motion and I- iMovie and, uh, and Pixelmator and all of these and core, and core graphics and core audio and core, all of these things that are available on OS X that are actually really good that by, by passing have this horrible reputation. Oh, QuickTime is such a piece of shit. But actually, they're incredible on the OS X platform. And this is exactly what OS X has available. This is exactly what has kept some of our video production, i.e. Wirecast, on OS X. is one subsystem that could bring in all of the inputs and then make it available to the applications. And, it, and OBS has just started to make this available by using the hell out of FFmpeg. And if we could have something like Pulse Audio that's for video, this could bring Linux ahead by five years in media production if they can actually pull it off. I'm really excited about this. Inagogo, what do you think? I think in some cases it just could go really badly. Like just now, I was using Pulse Audio. My speakers were going through my 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 output was going through my input, going back into my microphone input. So if this is made by the same people who made Pulse Audio, it's that's I think that's going to happen, but with video instead. 
I think it's, it's not made by the same people who made Pulse Audio. Yeah, and that's why they didn't call it Pulse Video, right? Right. And yeah, Christian Challer has has worked on GStreamer for a long time, and he's worked in media production on Linux for a long time. So uh, I trust that guy to to do the right thing. So uh, yeah, the curse said, name. Go ahead. They only said Pulse. No, they said Pulse Audio style, as in just like the same goals of what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the comparisons are from a developer standpoint, use of the API, not from an end-user uh, standpoint. Right. Uh, they say video frame pra- uh, passing will be done via file descriptors, and separate apps and processes will be communicated via DBus. Pinos will make it easier to switch cameras and applications, and for the same camera source to be used by multiple apps simultaneously. There will be support for multiple types of video inputs, GStreamer integration, and some audio support. So it's really nothing like Pulse Audio. Yeah, and if it's it's an extension, I've used the screen recording features of the GNOME 3, and they're excellent. Uh, so if that was extended to have more inputs and outputs and a better interface, I think that's great. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I feel like this, if it's done right, because here's Pulse Audio is getting pretty good. It's I can't stand here and tell you that it's it's better than what's on Windows or OS X. Maybe, but... I. I definitely have had a lot of problems with it. For the last month, it's been pretty good for me. <laughs> uh, so I can't, get, I can't get crazy here. But a lot of times people have asked me, what would it take to move some of your editing and some of your final production steps over to Linux? And I've always said, <clears throat> it doesn't matter if we get Lightworks. It doesn't matter if we have FFmpeg. Because we don't have this fundamental piping system. This fundamental piping of the of the camera inputs, the normalization of the camera subsystem that, you know, right now on Linux, if you want to switch between cameras, video for Linux is your best friend, but you still have to write so many esoteric different kind of accommodations for different cameras. And, and it's just, it's, it is a, you think Android fragmentation is bad. You have never witnessed anything like video management under Linux. And if there could be a subsystem that comes along like QuickTime does and, and Core Video does under OS X and normalizes all of this and enables a new generation of applications where developers can focus on managing the input from this Pulse Video um, Pino system, if they can work focus on that and not focus on writing all this esoteric side code, it could really help Linux catch up super fast. I have felt that without this system, Linux has a five to ten year gap to be truly competitive. If this over the next couple of years can actually become something usable, it could dramatically close that gap. Because this is the underlying pinning system that really makes media production possible on OS X. And you don't really understand how that is, how critical it is, until you actually do video media production. And then you realize why people choose Macs over Windows and Linux. And, and Windows doesn't have something like this. It has, it has something kind of similar. It doesn't have this. And, and <laughs> this is a big deal. I'm very excited. So I'm going to follow this. I would love, Rotten, if you wouldn't mind, Martin, uh, noting down, maybe we can get some interviews with these people and follow it because this could be Absolutely. a huge deal. Really excited. Kind of neat that the story broke while we were recording the show, too, because it could be long-term. Right Here we are in episode 99, and it could be long-term, the big technology shift that helps us move everything over to Linux. Maybe. Or maybe I'm just getting too excited, but I, it could be. Also says here that it should enable better screencasting support within GNOME 3, uh, video support for desktop sandboxes, hello, Wayland, and uh, many other potential use cases. So those of us who have wondered how the hell we can do screencasting and screenshots under Wayland because of all the sandboxing, this could also provide the solutions for that. 
which is great for those of us who want to make how-tos and document things like that. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, Mumble Room, last chance. Any final thoughts on this before we wrap up for the day? I think Pulse Audio gets a bad rap a lot more than it deserves, and it does a lot of cool things that uh, if we didn't have Pulse, I would be incredibly disappointed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, You know, like, to be honest, we had individual application volume control support well before Microsoft ever shipped that. Yeah, Chris, I think your comparison to um, to to the Mac and to um, I already forgot the name of it, having a brain fart. Pinos uh, or whatever, their, Pinos, P-I-N-O-S. Yeah. Um, so I think you know that comparison. I think is very apt. You know, we have not only FFmpeg, we have uh, GStreamer as well, and and those tools are getting really good. Um, so being able to plug in and out of those yes. Uh, yes. is going to be very critical. Yes. This um, is coming along when FFmpeg is getting really well and Pulse Audio is stabilizing. Exactly. So, just to make a point, um, earlier you made a point about how Linux is forever changing. Um, this is a good example of that change. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going back to our Mint discussion, you mean? <laughs> good point, yeah. Sensol. Good point. Well put. Way to bring it all back together. And this is a good reason to hang out on Mint or uh, Matei for a little while because this stuff does just keep on changing. All right, well... Maybe we'll leave it uh, right there. Hold on. No, 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 hold on. We'll leave it right there. So if you would like to join us live and make an excellent uh, closing point like Sun Soul just did, uh, join us over at uh, jblive.tv. We do this show live at 2 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. Maybe next week I'll have a quieter air conditioner so there won't be that background starship hum. Just picture me on the bridge of the USS Enterprise, won't you? And that'll explain the hum. Uh, LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Contribute to the show. Give us links. Also, there'll be a feedback thread for episode 99. And don't forget, email me if you want to hang out for episode 100 in studio. And meetup.com slash Broadcasting for our OSCON meetup. And remember, promo code Linux if you're going to buy a ticket for OSCON. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week. Yeah, you know what I wonder what will haunt that Pinos project is uh, internally they probably did consider it to be Pulse Video because internally they recognized that Pulse Audio was the example of an open source project, has huge ambitions, and over time gets refined and works out the bugs and ends up being maybe better than what the commercial offerings have. And so if you have that rationale, it makes a lot of sense to call the next iteration for video Pulse Video. But then internally, so you could see how they would stage things like that because we have prototype names for shows that we're developing in-house. that you, We don't launch with those names, but that's what we refer to it as, and, and that's how we all think about it, but we wouldn't publicly call it that, just like they wouldn't publicly call it Pulse Video. They want to call it Pinos, but their draft blog post called it Pulse Video. The, the draft URL called it Pulse Video, and that's what Pharonix picked up on, and now that's what we're calling it. And you got to wonder if a little bit, if they could rewind the clock, if they would just opt to never have the, the, the meme Pulse Video out in the public at all. Uh-oh, our JB title site is down? Oh, no. Oh, no. How are we going to pick a title if our, if our title site is down? 
Are we capable of coming up with a title on our own? Yeah, uh, someone suggested Parents Shut Action down. Show, which made me chuckle. That was so pretty good, but did. would you watch that? <laughs> anyway, it's loading for no, me. We did Mumble Unplugged. We can, we, can make, we can make a title. <laughs> Breaking Linux we news. We'll pull it. Uh, check out these nuggets. <laughs> Thanks, Rock. There, it's a good one. <laughs> Compulsive video. Still works. Yeah, there you go. Repulsive video. Should we do something around the Pulse video pinno stuff since that's breaking news, or should we do something around Open DNS, uh, or we should do something around boring distributions? We had some good discussions in this episode. We could do something about uh, evolving. What? Uh, boring distro- distros go the distance. I like that. JBTitles.com. Oh, is the voting not working? Maybe that just means we're having no, more traffic than normal. I hope that's what that means. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, oh man. That's no good. So, uh, Server uh, error. how awful was that video I played of my in-depth look? Do I seem really... Oh. Do, I, do I present a lot differently? Is it a huge difference? Oh, that's a you, big difference. Big You've difference? You've got more confidence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh. It sounds like I would have said the, the same thing. I feel like I would have said the same thing. You things. would have. You would have, but the, you, you sounded like uh, a lot less confident, and you... Yeah, it was like every other YouTube video of someone just blurting stuff out unprepared in front of a camera. Yeah, you did actually. You could. You sounded different too. Just like the, not just what you said and how you approached it, but like I don't know. For some reason, you sound like your voice is deeper now or something. <laughs> well, you know, puberty yeah. and all. <laughs> hmm. Oh, there the you go. Voice change of the years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what's super embarrassing is uh, like people who get into radio. They would they would do these kind they would do this kind of learning on like some obscure small little radio station in some small town. Nobody'd ever hear about it, and then by the time they make it to national, they're good. But uh, when you do it on the internet, I mean, my entire you can watch my entire learning arc just by watching our old shows. It's embarrassing. It's all out there. Oh, thank you, Rika. All right, so voting is now fixed. JBTitles.com. and like, what do you do, right? Because you can't really pull it down. Because that's the back catalog, which gets quite a bit of play. But, like, there are people out there that are meeting Chris for the first time, and they're meeting that version of Chris. That's not the version I want them to meet. First of all, he weighs, like, 45 pounds more than I do. And second of all, he apparently says, um, a lot. He's, he hasn't gotten into the flow of the rant yet. <laughs> but the first version of Chris that I met was unboxing a digital photo frame. Nice. I remember that, Chris. Wireless access points. Yes. It's uh, similar to Paul's video. It's got out on the internet, and uh, no one can take it back. Right, it's the same as open source, isn't it? You're right about that. Oh, that doesn't make me feel any better, though. Not at all. Yeah, I remember that Kodak picture frame. That was horrible. Was it terrible when you actually set it up? No, it was okay. It was okay. I know you had to um, use a a Vista VM. Oh, good old Vista. Oh, (sighs) I do remember some of that, yeah. All right, so how are the titles <laughs> shaking out now that we got the boats? Let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, finger on the pulse of video. That's not bad. That's not bad. Opening DNS from the past is boring better. Not so minty fresh. Turn. And I kind of like finger on the pulse of video, but it's a little obscure. Don't you think? Yeah, but uh, it's also not what it's called either, so. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> All right, chat room. 
Come on. We gotta get together. Everybody go there and concentrate your votes. We gotta go. In the meantime, I want you to think about one thing and one thing only. That is mustache. What's driving me crazy is that photo right there. Zoom in on that. It's one of those cops in a black uniform with a mustache. And you just look like an absolute clown freak that works for murdering terrorists that jack our food and water. I think you're a big joke. Oh, you got a mustache. I'll just worship you. As long as you got a mustache, it's okay. Nothing against mustaches. That always makes me feel better. Uh, Ham, did you want to ask me now or did you want to ask off the air? Uh, off the air is fine. Okay, all right. So jbtitles.com, jbtitles.com, jbtitles. Finger on the pulse of video is boring better. I don't think I want to do is boring better, Rotten. Just It's a good one, but I feel like it's territory the Unplugged show has kind of analyzed before, maybe with a new angle today, but if you're looking at it without knowing the context of the discussion, you might be judgy, I feel like. That's why I also just suggested Pinot Noir. <laughs> I like that. All right, okay. Uh, is finger on the pulse of video? Uh, I kind of like finger on the pulse of video. I kinda think we're going to go with finger on the pulse of video. How do we beat that? How do you beat that? Right? Not so many first. Wine, good. With wine, I like it. Yeah, I do like that too. Um, all right. Will somebody go out there and try the new Linux Mint seventeen point two and then give us a review next week? Does anybody in the mobile room mind doing that? Anybody want to take that? Nobody going once, going twice. I'll do it. Thank you, sir. Who was that? Right. Who said that? Who we got? That's Romeo. Romeo. Thank you, Romeo. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'll, I'll give it a go. If no one's dead. Ubi, you, you give it a go? Wow. Uh, give it a go. I'm... What's the worst that can happen? Poppy? You get, you get sucked in by the boringness. Poppy? I grabbed the, uh, the torrents earlier on today, and uh, I was sharing, seeding like a good man. And, uh, yeah, so I've got them locally. I might as well give it a go. All right. Well, so I, just, I, I th- just started using it. Sunsoul? Okay. All right. So would you guys – Let's. how about next Tuesday since, you know, I mean, we. I talked my mouth I'll off about it. I'll be at the barbecue it. so I can do it there. What? I- I'm going to the to the barbecue if that's next Tuesday. Yeah. You're going to be here? You're going to show up? I mean, I'm in Portland, and there's a bus that goes straight up to Seattle. So Good man. That would be amazing. All right, so email me so I know, though, because if I get, like, two or three people to email me, I'll, I'll get some food. Otherwise, I'm not going to buy food. I've already emailed you about it. Awesome. So, uh, great. Yeah, so we'll talk about Mint because I feel like we probably deserve to give it, you know, a fair shake because, you know, they've done some good work there, and I just kind of est all over it. And, uh, and we'll have some barbecue. That'll be fun. 100 is going to be awesome. I like it. All right. Thanks, Mumble Room. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. I can't, I can't wait to watch all the food. <laughs> Welcome to Linux Unplugged, episode 99, where today we're going to be talking about text editors. Freestyle, what do you think? Guess what I tried yesterday. What did you try yesterday? I have tried Emacs. Among other things, uh, because I've also tried Atom, the text editor from uh, the guys over at GitHub. Um I tried Sublime Text 3, which is currently in alpha. I've tried um, Sublime Text 2, which everybody seems to love. And I'm an avid Vim user. So I have a lot to say about text editing right now. So what is your favorite choice now? Um, see, this is a really tough question to answer because I am... Not a fan of Vim style editing. 
or DI style editing, if that's what you want to call it. What I do like is my specific Vim setup. So I wouldn't mind moving to a different text editor if it could provide me with what I already have and what I already like about my Vim setup. That being said, transitioning to anything else is always kind of weird. So I've been every few months jumping around to different text editors and trying stuff out just just to see what all the fuzz is about. And have you tried Lighttable? Because it seems to be that Lighttable you can really have your own configuration like you have in Vima. So once you have your Lighttable uh, configuration, you will never change it, I guess. It's, well, is Lighttable the one that Brackets is using? No, no, this was an independent crowdfunded project that is open source, I think. Well, it is open source, that I know. I'm looking at the website of Lighttable right now. And here's the issue that I see already, is that it doesn't stand out in any way. Well, it stands out because it comes into very basic settings and you have to push your settings afterward and create your own workflow, I guess. Well, that's true about every text editor every, ever made. Yeah, not with Now, what about edit, Nano, example. though? Nano what about is Nano? Because, cool. I mean, like, everybody talks about Vim and Emacs and Sublime Text, but I hardly ever hear about Nano. So is, like, Nano the, the newbie text editor, or, or what do you guys think about Nano? Because I use oh. Nano quite often. Okay, so here's the thing. Nano is awesome if you just need to edit a config. If you have your thousand lines of code file that you've been working on for a few months and you have to navigate around it just to find the function that you want to work on today, uh, Nano is not as good because while basic features are there, it's not as powerful and not as extendable as anything else that you could be using. Uh, so I would com- I would agree with you. That is great, though. Um, like, if you are going to have one text editor on on your system, you don't actually write a lot of stuff. You just edit configs. No, no, perfect fun. So, the be- best command line editor. What would you say? Vim. Vim. Okay. Or Emacs. Or Emacs. Okay. How about GUI? A G edit, Sublime Text, or I forget what the name of the KDE one is. But what about what do you think about GUI? Gvim. So the text editor from KDE, huh? Uh, no, no, no. Said, Gvim said... is the GUI version of Fit. Uh, I do like Kate. I do really like Kate. I wish there was a bigger community around it that creates plugins for it. Because mm-hmm. Kate is awesome, and I'm already a KDE user, I would love to spend time, um, more time in Kate. That being said, are we being stopped now, or what's going on? No, he agrees with you. Yeah. Ah, ah, okay. I, I... Let me have a sip of coffee. <laughs> While he's drinking his coffee, I would like to also point out that Kate is awesome. 
except for the fact that it has missing features and the only way to do them is to the plugin system for Kate is not that good and it's not very extensible. No, so, G-Edit has like plugins. G-Edit's got plugins and G-Edit also has uh, developer plugin packages and extra plugin packages that are easy to get from the uh, Ubuntu Software Center or from the Arch User Repository. Right, but by default, G-Edit requires you to add everything. Just that like is every, true. Like just like Emacs and just like Vim, you have to you have to specify exactly what features you want and things like that. Where Kate has a lot of cool things built in by default, such as Emmet, um, uh, block block editing, which is cool. Uh, but then you know, there's other things. I, I used to use Sublime Text because, um, well, there's nothing else that is remotely as useful to me without having stupid bloat like Adam. Wait, wait, wait. What's the stupid bloat in Atom? Because as far as I can tell... Chromium. Atom? Isn't it not Chromium? It's something no. else. It's, it's, it's based a, on isn't Chromium. It is Chromium. Isn't it NodeWebKit or something like that? No, it's Chromium. It's literally is Chromium. It? it even says it on okay. their website that it is based Chrom- on okay. Chromium. Atom, Atom is based on Chromium Embedded Framework. I actually have research into these when brackets came about and pretty much it is a special build of chromium which strips out a couple features and makes a basic shell out of chromium so that you can start writing uh the kind of the shell component and the browser component so you it's pretty much just html javascript whatever but it's chromium that's overall um, yeah there's that so what about genie just throw another gtk editor in the round it's cool but it's very um Lacking in features. Yeah, and it's still GTK two, I think, huh? Yes, no, I don't care. I don't care what toolkit it is, as long as it works. Yeah, that's an argument. I don't think no one, like no one, has ever gotten excited over Genie. I've talked to people who use it because it's good, but it's not like anybody has ever had this devout. Uh, love for for Genie like people have for Vim, Emacs, or Sublime. Wasn't Wimpy talking last week about yes. Genie? Yes, he uses Genie, but he also uses more than just Genie. So, yeah, so most of us probably. I mean, Genie's cool, but it's it's Genie is like G Edit by default with cool extra features, but still, still very limited. Okay, Genie, in my perspective, is a very simple IDE. It's perfect in patent because it does symbol searching, it integrates that, and gives you auto-completion of symbols already seen. But other than that, it's not that appealing to change it. You probably want to use Genie when you don't want to make much changes, and you want something simple. But other than that, honestly, talking about editors, when in the discussion there's things like Sublime, Vim, or Emacs, Genie simply does not hold water. So, with text editors... Is there one text editor that is the best? You should always use it virtually no matter what you're doing? Or is it similar to like paint programs where you have GIMP, which is super powerful, or then you have Pinta, which you might want to just use if you have like a simple, you know, want to resize image? Or no, so. Because that, that's not a good comparison. This, this the, the, the editor conversation is more like the distro conversation. They're, most of them are all great for different, for, like for different preferences of people. No, Emacs and Vim both have great features, and yes, so, you're going to Emacs agree. guys, so you're going to disagree. So with them not not, not just because not but not because I'm a Emacs guys, but it's more like when looking at infrastructure alone, 
what actually one is capable of versus the other. Yes, people have managed to make Vim to work with things that, you know, and it's kind of amazing that it actually works. But looking at alone at the infrastructure that allows to plug in things, to change things by a plug-in interface, Emacs is more powerful. Wanting or not, being you a Vim user that performs Vim style and Vim works better for you or not, architecturally, Emacs is a superior editor, period. There's no argument Slime on this. also is modified in every way by plugins. Not as much. I sure, can guarantee every, you that every, not every aspect of Sublime <laughs> can be modified with, with the plugin. Okay, here's my issue with Sublime and Atom is that I don't really see a difference on the text level editor yet. Whatever Atom is using Chrome, so it might be... Adam, Adam is... Answer the phone! Actually... Yeah, I agree, answer the phone. Uh... Ham, hey, answer the phone! Oh, hi, guys. Thanks for... Oh, hi. Can I come back to me to start the show now? You guys did good, though. That was solid. That was awesome, but it is now time to start the show. You should do that. Let's do that every pre-show. We'll call it the... We'll call, oh, my God. What if we put a podcast within a podcast, like the Mumble Action Show, and you guys just show up in the pre-show, and you have a show, and then we'll just put that in there? We should do that. You show up next week and okay. do it again, and we'll do it every time until okay. you stop showing up. Okay. Well, if the Mumble community is going to uh, do a show, you have to accept the fact that once in a while, there's going to be a special episode exclusively about feces. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. What about oh, oh yeah, we should call it Mumble Unplugged, right? It should be Mumble Unplugged. It'll be during the pre-show. It'll be like our warm-up show. It's like you know how like when before a band comes out, you know you have a pre-show. They're like you guys should be like it could be the Mumble Action Show or the Mumble. It should be Mumble Unplugged, or or maybe Chris Unplugged because my mic's off and you guys get to have the show. I, can, I don't get to say anything. Apparently, according to ZFS for the win, I can't use the soundboard either because apparently the soundboard equals commentary. Um, I didn't know, but I think I agree. The more you know, the more you know. I guess it does add a little context uh, to the uh, show. And so, out of that... That's how we go. Uh, that's how we roll. I'll respect that. I won't I won't use the soundboard. I'll mute my mic, and you guys can have Mumble Unplugged. And then, uh, I think we should probably call it Mumble Unplugged. And it's the, it's the Unplugged Mumble Show in the, in the Unplugged Show. It's meta. It's like GNU. Can it's, it's like GNU and wine. It's perfect. It's, it's perfect for our community.